Hi, I'm Jonathan Evans, and you're listening to Boundless Vancouver. This sermon is based on Mark 2, 13-28, and chapter 3, verses 1-12. to It's called, New People and New Rules. If Jesus has so much power, the power to heal and cast out demons, if Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, then why is he rejected and opposed? The tension and questions of this chapter won't be resolved until chapter 4. But this week, I'll leave you with two questions. Why is it so hard for us to accept Jesus? Why don't we truly follow him? Have you ever made a friend and found that after the honeymoon period, things start to get on your nerves? Perhaps she doesn't return your texts in a timely fashion. Maybe you're great at initiating friendships, but you don't follow through on meeting up with them or investing in the relationship. If your life is so jam-packed, it's hard to fit another person in. Our relationships are complex, and we really have to bend and pivot to be with one another. It's sort of like cuddling porcupines. How can we fit comfortably together without jabbing each other with our sharp barbs? Jesus is like that. It seems all great and rosy to follow him. Maybe you've encountered his power and healing in your life. Maybe he's delivered you from an addiction or a very suspicious situation. And now, called to follow him, you realize this Savior isn't just your own personal Jesus, a genie in the bottle who's going to make everything work out your way. No, following Jesus is following a real person who, though powerful and authoritative, will not compromise on his mission of setting everyone free. For those who get in the way or try to disrupt his identity and mission, Jesus can be quite confrontational. Let's look at the controversies in this chapter, what rules Jesus was confronting, and why people, including us today, might oppose him. It has to do with two parts. First, new people, which Jesus calls a tax collector and eats with sinners. And then we'll move to new rules, which Jesus breaks by not fasting, eating, grabbing grain on the Sabbath, and healing on the Sabbath. So first, New people making the wrong friends. Kent Hughes' commentary, Mark, Jesus' Servant and Savior, has this story. In 19th century England, there was a poor woman who attended a church woman's meeting. She had been living with a man of another race by which she had a baby, and she brought the child with her. She liked the meeting and came back again and again, but the priest came to her and said, I must ask you not to come to this meeting again. Seeing her questioning look, he continued, The other women say that they will stop coming if you continue to come. Looking at him with poignant wistfulness, she asked, Sir, I know that I'm a sinner, but isn't there anywhere a sinner can go? Fortunately, the Salvation Army found her, and she was claimed for Christ. Can you believe that people today have given me this ultimatum? And I'm not talking about abusive relationships or anything like that but just people not liking who's in their church. And if so-and-so is going to this church, then I can't be here. I'm going to leave and go to another church. Parker Palmer says this about community. Community is that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. And when that person moves away, someone else arises to take his or her place. 
that person, the one Jesus has called you and is annoying to you, is a gift to transform your heart. Jesus called Levi, the tax collector, to his group of disciples. The last person you would want at your holiness club is Levi. He's the scoundrel. Paying taxes can be a stressful situation in modern times. Seeing all those figures add up, being robbed from you, or the scrutiny of getting something wrong and being audited. In ancient times, it was even worse. Romans would franchise out to tax collectors to the highest bidder. It was like the mafia, too. The tax collector had to bring in so much money from the community. There was a grain tax, a wine tax, a fish tax, a wheel tax on carts, a ground tax, and an income tax. And there were little to do with receipts. You could be taxed twice or three times on the same goods and services. And if you couldn't pay the tax, the tax collector could provide you with a loan at an exorbitant rate, like the 21% your credit card charges you. They were loan sharks, and they had their goons to collect. They were seen as traitors. And Jesus invites the traitor, Levi, to follow him. Follow me, Jesus tells him, and Levi gets up and follows him. Luke fills us in in his gospel, chapter 5, verse 28. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. He surrendered. He was doing everything for himself, making himself quite rich, and was moved to generosity and mission. And then he has a banquet in Jesus' honor. Levi, flawed and discarded, he was the thief of the Romans, but best known today as Matthew, meaning gift of God. He was salvaged to become the gospel writer, an evangelist who threw a generous banquet where Jesus gathered with other sinners who didn't fit the Pharisees' idea of who belongs to God. So when people look at us in our lives, who are our friends? Are you in some sort of religious club who doesn't let anyone in? Is your church so squeaky clean that you're a bunch of Pharisees who ironically think God is pleased with you, but judge and miss who he's really for? Sometimes we want our churches to be so nice and impressive that we miss out on who God is and who he's really welcoming to the table. Sinners. Those who need a healer, a savior. And that's good news for you and me this morning. God invites us to himself, not because we're good enough, but because he sees and loves us. And this is where the action is. God was sinners. Maybe even more than our Bible studies and prayer meetings. Maybe more than what we're doing now. Of course, there's a bit of a false dichotomy here. But I want you to know Jesus' disciples are like him. They're friends of sinners, not condemners or unholy or servants of the poor, but friends, companions of sinners. How many friends do you have like that? Maybe it's a time to make one. And there's a warning with this story. If Jesus is a friend of sinners, he's also the enemy of the self-righteous. Jesus shows us who gets to be his disciple. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees were just as needy as the sinners, but tragically, they did not know it. Jesus was saying, in effect, to people who think they're righteous, I have nothing to say. But to those who know they have a need, I have come. 
So today, how aware of you are of your need for Jesus? So now we'll move on to the second point. First, Jesus invites the wrong people, and now he breaks all the rules. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do, which is fasting. And then he does something he's not supposed to do, which is eat and heal on the Sabbath. So now we've moved from new people to new ways, breaking the self-righteous rules. When I was a kid, I liked going to church. Uh, not because of the church part, but afterwards, me and my friend Mike would go down to the church basement and we'd play soccer in the Sunday school room. And there was a lot of running and the other kids would join and we'd just have a lot of fun. And then we would hear boom, 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 boom coming down the stairs. And an older lady who was pretty new Christian, uh, she would come and she would yell at us, what are you doing having fun and running around here in the church on a Sunday? Well, we knew she had to be wrong. Jesus wasn't displeased with us running around and having fun, but she was just like the Pharisees in this situation. What we see here is that the Pharisees expected Jesus and his disciples to be fasting. Fasting was the expected piety for real disciples. John's disciples and the Pharisees fasted, and they put on a good religious show. They actually whitened their faces, put ashes on their heads, and wore clothes in shoddy disarray. They refused to wash and looked as forlorn as possible. You could not be spiritual unless you were uncomfortable. They thought spirituality makes you do things you don't want to do, and it keeps you from doing the things you want to do. They thought they had to be miserable to please God, and they wanted to show everyone their good deeds to inspire others to be like them to please God. The problem is this. God isn't pleased by our activities, but by in his relationship with us. Jesus has come, and it's a time to celebrate and be with him like a wedding banquet, not be full of mourning. So Jesus cuts through all these expectations with his disciples by feasting, even plucking grain on the Sabbath. And the next story shows why. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's come to give new life. This is the intention of the Sabbath. People are made for the Sabbath, not the other way around. So adding to his authority and ability to rewrite the rules on life, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. The way of Jesus is all about wholeness. That which is frail and not functioning is destined for restoration. And that's the miracle of the paralyzed hand. Jesus has come to give life, life to the full. And in contrast, the Pharisees, their rules, their attitude, and the way they impose their ideas of what others ought to do, what do they do on the Sabbath? Chapter 3, verse 6 tells us, they plan with the Herodians, Israel's royalty, how to kill Jesus. A quick Pharisee check is, what do you do on the Sabbath after church? I ate a meal with people who, after church, used it as a time to judge, criticize the pastor, what happened during the meeting, 
and condemn people in the church. Here's a warning. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we can look at our words and determine, am I one of the sinners called to the table with Jesus? Or am I a judgmental Pharisee? And so how does Jesus explain this Pharisee opposition? He says this, New wine needs new wineskins. So what's the new wine? Like in Jesus, making water to wine in John's gospel, wine means the new life that God is bringing. It's the movement and power of God and the new people assembled around this person, Jesus. This new movement is not going to be able to be contained in Judaism, but it needs a new container, new practices, new ways, new thinking, because it's so much more jam-packed full of life than the former foreshadow. We have seen these movements in church history. Most recently, the Toronto Blessing, where God moved mightily and surprisingly in new ways. But this renewed the church. We can even look to our own tradition, the Salvation Army, and see new wineskins. The early Salvation Army had a guy, well, William Booth said, why should the devil have all the good songs? And instead of the bar song, here's to good old whiskey, drink it down, drink it down, they sang, storm the forts of darkness, bring them down, bring them down. They were the hipsters of the day. They dressed in the cool military garb, making that uniform accessible to those who would be disqualified from donning a uniform, let alone stepping into a church. The pious rules of the sacraments that the high church insisted were essential for salvation and had to be performed by ordained ministers were discarded. It was grace alone that saves. Water, bread, and wine weren't needed to experience God. His Holy Spirit could visit any congregation or individual. Out in the open air, a plain bench, a mercy seat, a chair, or a bass drum turned on its side became the stairway of heaven. William Booth believed that it wasn't about following church traditions that changed lives. It was encountering Jesus. And the proof was in the pudding. People were delivered from their addictions. Multitudes were saved, and a global movement of social enterprises, shelters, and church planting began. I wonder today, what are the new people, those who we aren't already included in the church? What customs or rules do we have here in the Salvation Army and in Boundless Vancouver that keep people away or make us joyless and lifeless? Is Sunday morning necessary, or is there a better time? that we should invite our neighbors into a community of hope. And when we can't gather and sing what we're used to, what during COVID can we break the rules for creative life, healing, and restoring Sabbath? And I guess the question also is, if you don't get your preference, do you disconnect and find yourself out of fellowship? You see, Jesus and following him isn't just stagnant and boring or following some religious customs and rules, or church shopping. What's exciting can also be anxiety-inducing. We start doing things we never thought of or have control over, and we follow the free God who can do whatever he wants with his people. And this brings to us to our posture of surrender. We give up our ways, even good ones, because God is in control and has a plan. Our job is to join him in that. 
you might be saying, okay, come on, John, there has to be some rules. And you're right. But Christians don't follow the law of the letter, which kills, but the law of the Spirit, which gives life. Following Jesus, even today, is following a person who dictates what to do and when to do it, even if it's on the Sabbath. The one thing we know for sure is this. God has come to bring life to his children. His direction will not lead to sin, harm, negligence, laziness, or death. He won't go against the revelation he's given in the Bible on morality. He isn't out to confuse us or change what life is about. He is restoring all things. Our work, our relationships, our bodies, our countries, and our hearts. And he's present even in these difficult times to lead you courageously, to help you take that next step you know God is asking you to take. It will give you life and others. Christians who substitute their loving relationship and direction from God for rule following are those that are like a married couple attached to their old love letters, love letters from courtship over the living and passionate life with the person right there in the room with them. So to close, ask God today this question. Jesus, who are you inviting to be your disciple? And what are your rule-breaking ways that we can do today. Amen.